When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Katie Couric. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and we are, we're just getting word right now. That this is hell. <laughs> Whatever we did. has happened. <laughs> Whatever we did in the last life to deserve this, rest assured, we deserve it. Mistakes. Ow. Do you know Katie Couric was the only, uh, like, uh, popular um, newscaster at the time when 9-11 happened who was, like... A truther. Who is a truther. Who is behind the scenes pushing back against the immediate narrative that um, this, like, was, this had to do with, like, all Muslim people. She was, a uh, she, like, got into it, lots Ooh. of fights about it. Yeah. So she was a um, anti-Islamophobia baddie? Yeah. Yeah, like, on the day of, too, while it was, like, unfolding. Because she said that, I, like, read a book. It's, like, a, I didn't read all of it, but it's, like, a 500-page book on, um just of transcripts of interviews from like everybody that uh, was active that day, like FBI people, people at the Pentagon, newscasters, journalists, broadcasters, etc. Interesting. Yeah. Ugh, people are obsessed with 9-11. <laughs> I'm personally obsessed with 9-11. No, I'm not even saying that as a bad thing. It's just like, I just, um, Dax Shepard's podcast had a like 9-11 episode this week. I'm just, I mean, it's I, just like, it's not, it's not September. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I just don't understand. Everyone's always talking about 9-11 and this year it's been 20 years. I just find that fascinating that yeah. we're always all talking about 9-11. I'm just obsessed with all uh, terrorist attacks. I just can't help it. Like I'm, there's like a sick part of my brain that um, needs to know every single detail. I love reading survivor stories. One of my favorite things to do when I'm really manic is to like my YouTube hole that I go into is listening to phone calls that were made on 9-11. Yeah. Which is like horrible. No, no, no. I've done that too. No, I know. But it's been going on with Hotel Mumbai too. I last night, last night I rewatched the last 30 minutes of the movie, (laughs) which are arguably the most horrific. (laughs) horrific. Um, And then went on to read more firsthand accounts of people who survived. I think it's because we're obsessed with our own mortalities. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, sometimes people try to paint it as like, it's like this insensitive, morbid obsession. And I'm like, you know, you got, it's true when you say morbid for sure. Definitely morbid. But I I don't, I mean, I understand. I don't know. It's, it's weird. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, You know, there's a lot of people who the most famous thing about them is that they died in 9-11 mm-hmm. or that they're one of the 9-11 phone calls, right? And there's so much... And and that's true about so many things. There's people... Um, Elisa Lamb, the most famous thing about her is that she was murdered or kill, died mysteriously at the Cecil Hotel. 
Um, she's this? she's the one who there was that um, video of her in, in an elevator, like hiding from something, and that's the last known footage of her. Uh, I, I can't wait to go. Uh, uh, there's a whole documentary about it on a docu series, rather on ooh. Netflix right now. I'm I'm first of all I'm sorry I'm having like a um like aneurysm over the fact that you're as obsessed with death as you are and you don't know about Elisa Lamb no, because this I'm... is something that happened during our lifetime. <laughs> wow, it was yeah, like no. a viral video of her. I remember it happening. There was like a viral video of someone being like, this is the last known footage of this woman that's missing in L.A. If anyone has any more information, please contact us. And the video is so sinister and disturbing. She hits all of the buttons in a in an elevator and the elevator doors won't close. And then she like she like peers around outside the elevator and then ducks back inside and hides in the corner. And then she like slowly wanders out of the elevator and like is doing something weird with her hands. And I just, it, this came out in when, whatever year that was, I was alive and I was a person on the internet. So it must've been post 2007, let's say. But anyway, I remember that video coming out and thinking it was fake because that was back when like everyone was trying to like yeah they're like this ghost killed yes, someone in a yeah, car accident yeah yeah <laughs> I remember that coming out and being like okay that's so creepy but like there's no way that this is anything and then they found her body in the water tank like a week later and it was like huge news that that viral video this is like bringing back like I'm sure I saw this it's bringing back snippets in my brain but there were so many fucked up videos, no I know so well so I just wanted to finish my thought oh, we're like sorry. so <laughs> yeah fuck you Nika um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry that my that that long ADHD tangent wasn't clear to you that that was one thought. But what my point was that um there are um people that they're like the reason they died is why they're famous and usually you as a person don't know about that, you know? Like your whole life is you as a normal ass person never aware that you're famous or yeah. that you're going to be famous. Yeah. And then you uh, are like cemented in everyone's minds as the reason you died. And you are like forever famous for that reason. And you're not even aware of it. And I think about that all the time. I'm like, am I going to be one of those people that is just a regular ass person? And then I die in some crazy way. And like the last known footage of me is like now the reason everyone's obsessed with my Twitter. Cause that's the other thing. Elisa Lamb was active on Tumblr and then everyone oh. became obsessed with her Tumblr Whoa. after she died. Oh, and I'm just like, Oh no, is everything I'm tweeting right now going to be like <laughs> <laughs> part of like my murder mystery? No, I'll make sure that that doesn't happen unless okay. you want it to happen. I, um, I just think about that all the fucking time. Like yeah. that there's just so many people who are famous because of, how they died and they're not even around to like be aware of the narrative of their own fame. You know, yeah. it's really strange. It is. It is. I'm also like less obsessed with uh death in the context of like those kinds of scenarios and more, just more in terms of like, again, terrorist attacks, hostage situations, anything where it comes down to like, psychology 101 like <laughs> how do people act in these high stress like life or death situations yeah um like all the people at the taj all of the workers who were like our age who chose to stay behind and mm -hmm. more of them were murdered than guests which i think is crazy that they were like we're gonna like i i say that i would be like peace bye but 
I've I'd, worked at a hotel and I'm telling you right now, if something happened <laughs> at that hotel while I was working there, I would be gone. So they literally fast. acted as human shields while they were like shepherding guests down the stairs. And that's how so many of them died. They were like 24 years old. I, I cannot. Guest is God is what they would say. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wanted us to feel that way. Famous restaurateur that owned the restaurant that was in the hotel that I worked at. And, um, we definitely were like attempted to be brainwashed to that extent. Yeah. But I just, I knew where all the emergency exits were. (laughs) (laughs) There was a bomb threat once and like, you know, everyone was evacuated. So there wasn't really that situation where it was like, you can either choose to stay behind or like, we just all had to leave. And I wasn't even there that day, but I just remember it happening. Yeah. And it's just, uh, because that happened, even though I wasn't there the day it happened, I had always thought about like, what would I do in an actual situation like that? Never once did it cross my mind to like save the guests' lives. I feel like I would annoyingly. They're rich people. I Who know. gives a fuck? I know, but I, I, I like, um, I could imagine myself like on my way out, and then my like brain being like, oh, go back in, um, because I don't know if I could like live with myself if I knew that I had just bounced when I like could have possibly helped other people get out regardless of what you, the situation you become is. a more complex person every day me to me yeah why well, because we've had conversations before about how you would kill someone to save your own life no I said I would kill well I said in like an apocalypse situation <laughs> if I had to kill someone to save my own life I would or that I you would mercy kill them I would mercy kill them or I would murder someone with like no issue if it were to avenge the death of someone I love. Yeah. No, no, no. And I'm not, but that all, I'm, I, that, to be clear, not judging you. No, for no, that. I'm just, I'm just saying it's like an interesting dichotomy of like that. You have this part of yourself that I have a, I think I have this part of myself as well, but I have a harder time accessing it. That is like so comfortable with the idea of maybe having to kill someone at some point. In fact, you sort of look forward to it <laughs> under the Allegedly. right circumstances, under the right circumstances. Um, <laughs> Buffy, stop. We're recording in my apartment, which is also why the audio is probably different. And my dog is just making these weird (laughs) growling noises because she doesn't like when Nika's here and uh, she's not like merging bodies with Nika. (laughs) (laughs) She's obsessed with Nika. Um, They trauma bonded this summer by both being stuck with me for multiple weeks. (laughs) Anyway. Um, I just, I find it interesting that you're like both comfortable with maybe having to, um, murder somebody, (laughs) but also comfortable with, you know, um, even sacrificing yourself for people that you don't even know. Yeah. It seems. Yeah. And I feel like I both, I have both of those things inside of me, but they are not as readily available, um, for me to like, uh, hypothetically access the way that. You're like, yeah, I would do that. <laughs> I mean, who knows, right? Like, this could all be bullshit. Like, you don't yeah, know until you're in that situation. <laughs> Cut to you and I in a hotel during a terrorist just attack. Bouncing. And you just, you're like, see you later, bye. <laughs> Throwing people in front of us. Um, yeah, who knows? But I definitely, I think about that stuff all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is kind of the beginning of our, like, closer friendship was when we were doing, we were going to protest together. And... um 
that was definitely my first insight into that like part of your brain because <laughs> I like I mean I think I was pretty brave with some of the protest situations that we faced but there was like especially the first one we went to where you kept going to the front when there were like bricks being thrown <laughs> and like hitting people in the head I was like you know what I don't want to be hit in the head with a brick <laughs> I just don't and so you kept being like okay I'm going back in and I was every time I was like I'm good back here <laughs> anyway um, shall we dive into our uh, mistakes, keepsakes, and hot, hot takes, takes, if you will? Let's do it. Mistakes, keepsakes, and hot takes. Do you want to go first? All right, sure. Um, my mistake of the week. What was my mistake of the week? I got. Um, I guess my mistake of the week. My mistake of the week was um, getting drunk last night and being very vulnerable on Twitter, um, <laughs> which is like, um, which some of you might be like, but Nika, you always overshare on Twitter, to which I will respond, there's a difference, because I intentionally overshare things that I want to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had to delete all of those tweets. Oh my god, I went on a deleting spree yesterday and I wasn't even drunk. I was just like, you know what? We don't need this many of Anya's thoughts on um, public forum. Agree. <laughs> okay, well, first of all. <laughs> um, my keepsake was... Uh, my keepsake was probably the tweet that um, that person, a fan of the pod, tweeted yeah. last night. Or whenever they tweeted it. I didn't see it until last night. That was very... That they're obsessed. Wait, should we shout them out? Yeah, let's Hold on, do it. I'm going to pull up their... Jonathan at JLZ Ockley? JL Zockley? <laughs> like broccoli. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe <Seth>. that's... Um... <laughs> you said Jonathan? Jonathan, yeah. Seth What's up? Jonathan. Seth Jonathan. Thanks. We love you, Jonathan. Thanks for listening to the pod. Thanks for listening to the pod. We love you. Um, and then your hot take. This is my hot take. And I'm going to come out. I don't even know if they listen to the pod. They probably don't. But they're one of my favorite mutuals on Twitter. I think they're the smartest person I follow. P.E. Moskowitz. Um, they got into, like, a bunch of trouble on Twitter. And people tried to cancel them. They lost, like, 400 followers. And people were, like, telling them to kill themselves. Because they... Um, tweeted a thread about how, like, ADHD, people with ADHD, and, like, they have ADHD. Um, I think their, like, take was something along the lines of, like, yes, mental illness is real, and, like, yes, ADHD is, like, you know, considered a mental illness, and it sucks, but also a lot of it has to do with how, um, with, like, the conditions of living in a capitalist society. Yeah. And, like... A lot of us are medicated, not necessarily because of the mental illness itself, but because of the effects of being mentally ill in a capitalist society. Yeah. And which is valid, completely correct, true, etc. And a bunch of people flipped out and like we're calling them a eugenist and um Okay, if eugenics are gonna enter this conversation, <laughs> medication is on the side of eugenics. I agree. I agree. Um, <laughs> like, I don't think that eugenics have anything to do with this conversation, first and foremost. <laughs> but if you're going to bring it into this conversation, it's way more, like, plausible that um, to, to wedge that <laughs> argument into the side of trying to make everybody act the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so, like, my personal hot take from this whole thing is that, like, we we live in a society where it's like... 
It's, we live in a society, in a society and that's it. Um, <laughs> where it's like, we have so many like different micro identities, right? It's like, we're not only like, I'm not only like a woman who is white, who is trans, who is Italian American. I'm also like a, a huge woman, bitch. a huge kind of like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm also bipolar. I'm like, you know, all of these like different things about me that have kind of been like force fed to me by society as like a way to, I think we're all kind of like encouraged to latch on to these micro identities and it's why people get so angry I think at normal comments that were made about ADHD under the lens of living in a capitalist society and it's just like strange to me I don't really understand why like people are so obsessed with like talking about their diagnoses or what like I I every once in a while will like bring up being bipolar but like it's not like it's not a it's not my identity. It's like one, I hate it. <laughs> I like don't think it's like cool or it like makes me cool. I think it like fucks up my life in a lot of ways. And I like not like no Pete Buttigieg, but if I could like take a pill and make it go away, <laughs> I would. And that's not what my meds do. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like I don't know. It's very it's like very strange to me that people are so obsessed with kind of hiding behind these identities and also like. Just want to say this. There's no way that you all have ADHD. Everybody on Twitter has ADHD. Like, everybody on Twitter has ADHD. I think that it... I As somebody with ADHD, I would like to push back on that a little bit because I think that it was a extremely underdiagnosed, um, quote-unquote, disorder for yeah. um, the majority of our lives. No, I hear you. But, but I also... I agree that maybe some people are misdiagnosed or self-diagnosing in a way that... Um, you know, isn't accurate. But I also think that I agree with people who are trying to reframe ADHD as not a disorder and rather a, um, if like, I forget what they said, like a personality type, which well, I kind of agree with. I, but see, that's the thing. Like, I agree with that. I, I like there, there's like this influx of people on Twitter who like keep referring to having ADHD as being like a mental illness or like a disability, etc. And, it's a disability in I, I agree like I have a horrible time in conventional environments like I dropped out of fucking high school I like can't keep a regular job to save my life and like you know certain types of relationships are difficult for me and I do think that you can attribute those things to, to my ADHD but I also think that um, not every single type of lifestyle is for everyone. I'm just personally, um, like, over and don't want to hold space for or, like, even, like, witness any more people romanticizing mental illness. And, like, I just, like, I get that, like, you know, women, especially in queer people, it's like, we want to reclaim this. And, like, if you're mentally ill and you're, you feel like you're of a marginalized identity, like, you want to step into your power and, like, claim this space. But it's like... I don't know, being bipolar is, like, the least interesting thing about me. Like, I don't really... Cut to Nika uh, tweeting about being manic in five hours. <laughs> I mean, it's li- like, li- obviously, I do, like, tweet, yeah, when I'm hypomanic or when I'm depressed. But it's, like, I'm not... Because that's just something I'm experiencing. But I would never act like being bipolar is this, like, 
huge part of my identity. No, totally. It's I think there's like, a difference between normalizing and romanticizing. Exactly. I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. I, I was I was poking fun. No, no, I know. I want to. I want to clarify because I do talk about being bipolar, obviously, online and in real life, and like when I'm doing stand up, I talk about it. But again, it's like. For me, it was just a way to normalize it yeah. Um, because it was like really traumatic when I got diagnosed, even though I had self-diagnosed before that because it runs in my family. I also um, want to clarify that we're both uh, pro-medication people. Oh, this yeah. is a conversation that I think can teeter on the edge of like, and that's why you don't need meds because no, no, no. <laughs> society is the problem. And I don't take medication at the moment, but I'm not anti-medication at all. I also, like, uh, wonder how often I'm, like, reading these tweets from people who are, like, literally teenagers. Yes. Um, and whether or not they're, like, adults. Because yeah. I'm like, well, you know what? If you're 16, I get it. Yeah. When I was 16, I also had a bunch of micro-identities that I now don't identify with. Completely. I'm an adult. Completely. And it probably is a bunch of teenagers. I, I do. forget that. Actually, yeah, I accidentally find myself arguing with teenagers <laughs> on Twitter, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, I was... You should be fucking kind. Oh, wait, you're 15. Sorry. (laughs) Let's see. Well, let me begin with my keepsake, actually, because I'm excited to share it. My keepsake, somebody um, was messaging me. First of all, I'm sorry that we don't necessarily shout out every tweet or message we get about the pod, but we are equally excited and um, obsessed uh, obsessed with... All of the messages we're getting. Um, not that we're getting like an avalanche of them, but I do. Uh, I sometimes it's like that scene in Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, where there's like all the acceptance <laughs> letters coming in. Um, yeah, that's that's basically what our life is with compliments about this My podcast. God, Leave us alone. We're just people. <laughs> I'm just a person. We're just people like you. Um, Except better. I so you know, it's interesting that this message came when it did because I was sort of regretting not editing out. The part in our last episode where I said that CW will never hire me because I'm a sex worker. (laughs) I was like, oh, should I even like put that out into the world? Not that obviously I've already put out into the world that I've done sex work and I do it currently. But I meant more like, you know, almost like speaking into existence the like um, the stigma around it. Yeah, that was the main reason I was regretting it, but also regretting it because of say it with me, the sex work shame spiral. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which uh, I think that you and I don't talk about a lot on this podcast because normally we're recording it when we're kind of coming out of the coming out of that mm. shame spiral. Like we normally are talking about it like it's like just this thing that both of us have done or do that we're like totally chill with. And like it's just a fucking job. And, you know, yeah, we don't really uh, share that. um the stigma and the disc- discrimination like does get to us yeah. a little bit. Like even if you have no personal qualms with doing it yourself, the way the world kind of treats you can get to you. Yeah. A hundred. Um, and I think we both kind of say fuck it and talk about it anyway, because we hate that. So yeah. we want to contribute to um, normalizing it and just talking about it and just like making it a, any other fucking job. Yep. Um, but I got this DM. I'm not going to say their name. And I'm also going to leave out what city they're from just so that they're as anonymous as possible. So um, instead of the city that they're actually from, because they do say a city, um, 
It's just a conservative city. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. so just keep that in mind. Okay. So I'll just say conservative city. So they said, love that you and Nika talk so openly about sex work. I did some full service GFE work while getting my PhD. What is GFE? I have no Girlfriend idea. experience. Oh, yes. Okay. okay so great. Escorting. Well, getting my PhD. Also love that you got a PhD. Fucking girl smart boss. girl boss. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a sorority girl from conservative city. And if I told anyone in my regular life about sex work, they would spontaneously combust. It's just really nice to hear two smart, funny girls talk about sex work as part of your life and not the defining piece. I have a lot of shame around it and I'm trying to work through that. I'm that I am trying to work through, but I'm loving listening to you too. And I just want to say that's my keepsake because that's why we fucking do this. You know, that's why we both kind of ripped the bandaid off and like we're open about sex work from the get. (laughs) Do you hear her just fucking moaning? (laughs) Um, My dog is just like really upset that we're sex workers. She's disappointed in us. Buffy's a swerf. (laughs) Yeah, Buffy is a swerf. Um, And, you know, you like I can't. I can't surrender her, so I'm just kind of stuck with this um, piece of shit dog. Anyway, so that's <laughs> so, so that's my that's my keepsake. Um, I want to say that that message meant a lot to me, and that I I think that there are more like for any of you who are not sex workers, there are more sex workers in your life than you realize. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. Makes me feel like we're doing a good thing by. Because we're very low stakes sex workers. We're like white girls on OnlyFans who have done a little bit of in-person sex work. But like, you know, like it's it is not as damaging to and we're both pursuing like the arts. Like we're just kind of like we're not like survival sex workers. And then we're also not like we're we don't have to like we're able to be open about it more so than someone like this woman right. would be because of the field that we're working in. Yes. And, and because of just our like personality types of, I think both of us kind of being like a, you know, fuck it, burn it to the ground kind of people <laughs> where we're like, listen, this is the truth. <laughs> we don't really fucking care. Um, but uh, so for the people who are comforted by us talking about these experiences, do know that we're not like, on some kind of like other plane where we feel none of the spiraling oh my God, you feel. I'm spiraling last night. I spiral <laughs> all the last. I, I got back on Tinder for the first time in months, and I was on Tinder last night talking to some guys, and they like asked me what I do, and I like didn't want to tell them that I was on OnlyFans. Yeah. And then like spiraled and was like, oh, like not only am I a fucking tranny, like <laughs> I'm also a fucking sex worker on top of it. Like I'm never gonna get the guy I want. Yeah. Um, like who's gonna want me who's gonna want to bring me home to their mom now i know oh um, my god the bring me home to their mom <laughs> complex i have that so hard so hard which is crazy because moms love me <laughs> your mom will love me i promise yeah yeah and what's also funny is that like um most uh, not most but like there's a large number of people in this world that do not give a flying mm, fuck yeah. and I, once again it's kind of like the speaking it into ex- existence thing sometimes i i sort of just assume shit isn't gonna happen or assume that things 
like certain like things in life aren't for me because of whatever, whether it's sex work or ADHD or that I dropped out of high school or whatever the thing is. Yeah. I'll sometimes be like, oh, well, that that kind of thing isn't for people like me. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Fuck it. CW, I'm available for hire. <laughs> and boys, I'm available to, to meet your mom. mom. <laughs> <laughs> I make a great Sunday gravy. Like, she'll love me. Um. <laughs> And I, I just, you know, I think there's like fucking Cola Scola um, talking about doing sex work Ugh. to like while working for MTV, which is famously a Viacom company yeah. that does not hire sex workers. Um, Cole does not currently work for MTV. What I mean is they were doing sex work to supplement their MTV income, which is fucking Insane. crazy. When you see somebody on television, you should rest assured that they're making enough money to live. But apparently fucking no. not. Um, we love you, Cole. We love you, Cole. And so I'm, I'm very Come grateful for the other people who are kind of coming to coming out to talk about it. Um, but yeah, so I think Cole did everyone a really great service of like showing that sex workers are not always who you expect they're going to be and you don't always know about it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just think it's one of the invisible struggles, kind of like mental illness, that like not everybody has to fucking tell you that they're dealing with this thing or that they're they're experiencing this thing. Sorry to get sorry. I'll get off the soapbox now, but I feel like it's important to talk hey, about. Your box is really soaky. Could you <laughs> hop off well, the first? <laughs> yeah, it is. Sl- I'm sliding around on this soapbox. Oh, there's a lot of foam. Oh my god, <laughs> it's sudsy on here. <laughs> it's really bubbly. So anyway, um, that that DM meant a lot to me, and it also made me want to kind of um, talk about it a little bit more because I do feel like we talk about it so casually, and we have more thoughts on it than just that, you know? Yeah. Um, my does no thoughts in my head. Absolutely empty empty head. (laughs) All that's up there is mom pleasing conversation topics. (laughs) (laughs) And what to wear, what to wear when meeting your boyfriend's mom. Um, my mistake. That was a keepsake and kind of a hot take. I'm just going to group that together. Right. Cause there's no need to do another. Um, my mistake this week, I kind of let myself down on some personal goals this week that I don't really want to get into because they're not, first of all, that interesting, but also I'm still kind of grappling with <laughs> um, my shame around like kind of uh, breaking certain promises to myself. Don't worry, everyone. I'm still not smoking weed. <laughs> what if that's like, I'm really dealing with the shame of that. I smoked some weed. Um, no, I wouldn't give a fuck if I did that, but I don't know. I just, I had certain goals. One example being like, I just like really haven't journaled in a while. And mm. for a while I was like, now it's starting to feel like a bigger and bigger piece of homework. Cause I have so much to catch my journal mm-hmm. up on, which is such a weird, so that's like one of the lower stakes versions of what I mean. I had some, for lack of a better word, some resolutions okay. that I just like, haven't been following up on. And this week was a really tough week of like, um, having one really like smack me in the face. Mm. Um, can't wait to talk about this when the mics are off. Yeah, it's not that. I mean, even you'll be like, oh, why don't you just talk about that on the pod? But I'll also, whatever. I just don't really want to get into it. But anyway, it's I it, I just um, I let myself down and that was a mistake. And it's not that big of a deal. And you let me down by letting yourself. Down. <laughs> yeah. And I just have been terrified to tell Mika because I know how mad she's going to be when she finds I'm, out. I'm like pulling my belt off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it's I very much drop the ball on something 
for myself, like not even, it doesn't even affect anyone else, but I was really disappointed in myself. And at the exact same time that one of my friends um, had this like pretty big career achievement in a career that isn't my career. So I didn't feel any like envy around that, Mm -hmm. but the career achievement itself um, involved them being like, just having really hit the pavement hard with like three different skills Mm. that they had been really like chipping away at for years. And then like they all culminated in a thing. Um, And so I had kind of one of those spirals where I'm like one of those people that is like, you know, I'm not um, disciplined enough or I'm not a hard enough worker. I'm not uh, good at the things that I want to be good at, which I think are also kind of lies Honestly, yeah, like I think I am are. all those things, <laughs> but there's the the truth in them is that there are things I want to be better at that I have not been. Um, I've been not my own teammate in doing those things, you know? Yeah. But I mean, it's hard to be your own teammate in doing, you know, especially in, in the middle things. of a fucking pandemic. Yeah. But no, for sure. And someone just said the other, <laughs> so, there was like some, the pandemic it, is not a residency. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you're so right. Like <laughs> yeah. literally, literally. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, the fact that we, like, started a podcast and I wrote my first, like, yeah. screenplay during, like, that's, I'm good. I know, it's so I'm funny. Good for, I'm like, like, four years. I've been, like, what what the fuck have I even been doing? And then while while I'm in the middle of, like, editing, <laughs> editing. our podcast <laughs> or, like, doing the, like, promo for it or whatever. Like, it's so silly the way that we um, belittle ourselves. And so that, the mistake was both my dropping the ball on something that I feel like I had all the resources and time to do this like pretty simple thing that I just kind of never fucking did and then felt the consequences for. Um, well, 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 Isn't the, <laughs> the consequences, consequences of my, my own actions. actions. <laughs> um, but it's also a mistake to beat myself up too hard about it because then that's just like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a vicious cycle. Yeah, stop acting like a fucking Catholic. Thank you. You're welcome. I do As a Catholic. You need to stop. I have. I wasn't raised Catholic, but <laughs> there's Catholic. there's Catholic on both sides of my family. So I think that I'm it not really immune to the, the yeah, DNA. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, both my parents were raised by like former Catholics. Yeah, I don't so, have an anxiety disorder. I'm just um, formerly a Catholic. <laughs> it's so funny though that like my grandparents were not even Catholic themselves anymore, and then my parents were actively not Catholic. Like in practice as children they were just raised by former catholics mm-hmm. and then they had me and i still have fucking catholic <laughs> guilt like that is too many generations of like n- being like no thank you to catholicism for it to still be like <laughs> stuck to me like a fucking leech well, that's what happens when a a 2000 year old cult oh my is, god uh, still up and when running. we were at the cloisters i couldn't stop thinking about how culty it was yeah not the cloisters, but Catholicism. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's so... I I am constantly telling my dad that he is a member of a cult. Yeah. I'm going to say... I'm going to name my son Yeshua. I'm going to name my son Jesus, and then we can have two little Jesus oh babies. God, adorable. I love that. I really want to name my son Zion, but I can't do that anymore. Just <laughs> annoying. Fucking the Israel eye. has to ruin everything. The eye roll that we just felt in the studio. <laughs> Um, in the studio with a very loud radiator and a whining dog. Elisa, take us back. <laughs> to be clear, Elisa didn't kick us out. Um, We're doing this because I'm going on another trip. Yeah, um, Nika is... Because um, I'm just gallivanting around upstate New York this month. <laughs> Nika is kind of... Uh, you're going to have to put like upstate New York on your tax return as where you officially <laughs> lived in 2021 because it is getting ridiculous. Um <laughs> 
Okay. Fuck up of the week. Justin Timberlake's apology. I know. Seriously. Hands down. It was. Wait, should we read it? Let's read it. Let's read it. And then fucking his annoying ass Pisces wife with her stupid fucking comment. Wait, what did she say? She just commented on his Instagram post, like something like, I love you so much, or or, I love you. I mean, whatever. She's his wife. She has to say that. Does she? Do you, Jessica? Hey, Jessica, come on the pod. Talk Jessica, about how your fuck-up was uh, marrying Jessica, Justin Timberlake. Jessica, tell us about your iconic fuck-up on the pod. <laughs> um, okay, Miss so. Miss Kevin. If you missed our last episode, we talked about Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson in the 2004 Super Bowl, and we briefly touched on the Free Britney movement. We didn't really talk about Free Britney. We more directed you to go watch the documentary about it. But in our discussion about it, we did mention that Justin is the antagonist of it. And then when we talked about the Super Bowl, we also said Justin was the antagonist of it. So I think we've made it clear that this podcast... Has we we've uh, established like what side of history we're on as far as Justin Timberlake goes? Yeah. Um. So it's just kind of funny. I think you know. I think it's because of our episode that Justin released this official apology. He was like, "Best mistakes talked about me <laughs> and me being a villain, so I have to talk about it." Um. And he kind of addresses that in the very first sentence. I've seen the messages, tags, comments, and concerns, <laughs> and I want to respond. He's clearly talking about our um our podcast. Our podcast. Yeah. Um. And by the way, he posted this on Instagram. If you guys want to go see it for yourselves, Um, he says, I am deeply sorry for the times in my life where my actions contributed to the problem where I spoke out of turn or did not speak up for what was right. Once again, he's referring to when I said his VMA speech or his Grammy speech was a perfect opportunity to um, stick up for Janet. I understand that I fell short in these moments and in many others and benefited from a system that condones misogyny and racism. I specifically want to apologize to Britney Spears and Janet Jackson, both individually, which is an oxymoron, um, because I care for and respect these women. And I know I failed. I also feel compelled to respond in part because everyone involved deserves better. And most importantly, because of because this is a larger conversation that I wholeheartedly want to be part of and grow from. The industry is flawed. It sets men, especially white men, up for success. It's designed it's designed this way. As a man in a privileged position, I have to be vocal about this. Because of my ignorance, I didn't recognize it for all that it was while it was happening in my own life, but I do not want to ever benefit from others being pulled down again. That's so fucking ironic if you think about mm. the ways that he like dunked on Britney and that's the whole reason he has a career. Yeah. But anyway, like benefit is a like a not even the right word for what he did. Yeah, no. Like for years, like for (laughs) For literally over a decade. Um, I have not been perfect in navigating all of this throughout my career. I know this apology is a first step and doesn't absolve the past. I want to take accountability for my own missteps and all of in all of this, as well as be part of a world that uplifts and supports. I care deeply about the well being of people. I love and have loved. I can do better and I will do better. Okay. Oh, that was a great pre-Oscar nomination um, speech. You okay. Asshole. Yeah. Let's some things to note here. Um, he's currently promoting an Oscar bait movie. Yes. <laughs> that if you go to IMDb right now, I think it's like the movie that they're promoting. Oh, okay. It's so funny. 
Um, they took it down. Somebody was uh-huh. like, did nobody tell IMDb that Justin Timberlake is canceled today? Because <laughs> yesterday, the day that that apology came out, it was like Justin Timberlake's face was oh, all over so the homepage funny. of IMDb. <laughs> um, he's not specific enough. Like he's, I think he thinks that by saying Britney Spears and Janet Jackson's names, that's him being specific. But that still makes the the reader of the apology have to go look up what he did if they're not familiar. I think a proper apology would have been a video. Yeah. And it would have, you know, I don't think he even needs, needs to like drag himself by listing every single time that he like said something disparaging about Britney Spears. Although that would be fucking amazing if he like literally played the clip every yeah. time. But to say what it is that he did he should have said like, I lied about and humiliated Britney Spears for the benefit of my own career. Not just saying Britney Spears' name, you know? And I was part of an incident that Janet Jackson was blacklisted for, and I did nothing to help her, and I continued to benefit from not being blacklisted despite being maybe even more culpable than she was, if not just equally culpable in a scandalous incident, albeit I'll I'll say Anya now I'll say I don't think Justin or Janet should have suffered from that incident. But the fact that Janet yeah. did and he, did and he didn't and then he did nothing about her suffering was fucked up. And he didn't you know, he kind of dances around it by saying that he's benefited from the system and, you know, that he benefits from like pulling other people down. But he doesn't actually fucking say what it was that happened. What 24 year old unpaid intern wrote that apology is what I would like to know. Yeah. What is this episode about? It's it's your um, housewives. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is my uh, Bethany Frankel and Carol Radzival feud. I want to add some things that were incorrect um, or just like mildly untrue that I like didn't realize. Um, I... Talk about how uh, the, the like main point of the like argument between them that like I kind of uncovered was basically that Bethany was trying to get these contacts from Carol's friend whose husband had just died. And like the tweet that I like read on the episode is talking about how like Bethany was never able to carry a show herself. And I mentioned the Bethany Ever After one as being an, an example. That does not count. Um, she can't hold a show on her own and it's been shown by ratings but that show specifically does not count that spinoff when she left housewives the first time because she and her husband ended up divorcing or like splitting up like a year after the second season of that show i think but like her marriage fell apart so that's why obviously the show canceled yeah or got canceled or whatever um but yes we're talking about the feud between Carol Radzewell, Bethany Frankel, that played out on season 10 of The Real Housewives of New York City. And if you're not a Real Housewives fan, um, or, you know, fan, that makes it sound like you don't like it uh, inherently. But what I mean is, if you're like me and you don't watch it, um, that doesn't mean that this episode is not going to be interesting to you, because it's more a conversation about, like, social climbing and career betrayal to, like, true friends yeah <laughs> more than it is about the housewives yeah yeah yeah. so i uh not that if i can most people are like the housewives i'm in the minority and i know that but i want other people who maybe relate to me and um you know not being necessarily familiar with these people that this episode is not so much about housewives drama as it is about like human drama yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I guess, and what just, the Housewives is. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, dissolution of friendships is yes. really what this episode is about and what leads to them. So, uh, get into let's it. Get into it. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is an Instagram DM. We'll leave it at that. Okay. Listener mistakes. So they say, my biggest mistake I've made in my life was not coming out to my grandmother before she died when I was 17. She was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer and we were very close. She had helped my parents raise me my entire life. She was one of the only people that I ever felt like I could truly trust and talk to about anything. As I was coming to terms with my sexuality in my junior year of high school, I finally decided to tell my immediate family. Despite her being the family member I was closest to, I couldn't bring myself to tell her even after I had met my first girlfriend. I kept pushing back, telling her until I realized that she was slowly starting to drift away. I hold a lot of regret and guilt because I don't even know why I was afraid to tell her. She had always accepted me for who I was no matter what. Eventually, she passed away, and I can't help but kick myself when I think about if she knew and probably wondered why I didn't want to tell her. Definitely my biggest fuck up and on top of the normal grieving sent me to a bad mental place for months. But now I'm 21 years old and I found peace not only with my grandmother's death, but my own identity as well. I just wish I could have told her while she was still, while she was still here. Um, okay. So that's, Damn. The, that's the fuck up. That's a quite a mistake to carry. I feel yeah. like to consider it a mistake. And then live with that. Yeah. I relate a little bit, but like without the identity factor uh, playing a role. What do you mean? Um, I, when my great, so my great auntie Jamie died really unexpectedly um, a week before my freshman year of college in 2014. Um, and she, she had had cancer for a while and then went into remission Um And then at the end of the summer, she died from like an infection. Um, And I had, I like didn't go see her at all that summer because even though like she was in remission, she was still a little bit sick and something just kept stopping me from going to see her. And I, we were extremely close Um, and something kept stopping me from going to see her. And I like, didn't know why, but like, I, I, I remember that at the beginning of the summer, I kept saying to my friends that I felt like someone in my family was going to die. And I assumed it would be my grandmother because she's the oldest. And I was like, some, someone's going to die. Like I can feel it in my bones. Mm. Um, didn't think it would be her. Anyway, I didn't, I avoided seeing her all summer for whatever reason that I still don't really understand. Maybe I subconsciously had a feeling it was going to be her. I don't know. Um, And the night before she died, she went into the hospital and I was going to finally go see her because she was in the hospital. When I woke up in the morning, she had died. Mm -hmm. And I held on to that for a really, really long time. The grief of like not seeing her at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on top of that, like coming out as trans like a year and a half later and like not her not being around to like see that. So I, I understand the like 
intricacies yeah. of carrying a, a really irrational sense of guilt mm-hmm. that like does no one any good. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't think this person has anything to feel uh, guilty about. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's not so much guilt as it is just like, or regret. Yeah. Like it's, it's just a shame that this person that they were close with never really got to meet them in their entirety, yeah. you know, like yeah. never had the honor to know your full complex self, which includes your sexuality, yeah. which unfortunately we live in a world where our sexuality is just assumed until otherwise stated. Yeah. Cause I feel like if we didn't live in a society where we had to come out, <laughs> this might not even be a regret that you would have. Maybe still the girlfriend thing, you know, cause you never even, I assume, um, your grandmother never knew about your girlfriend or, you know, like maybe yeah. that aspect. But if it weren't for the heteronormative BS of like it just needing to be something that we announce to our family anyway. Yeah. It could be that um, this wouldn't be a regret that you'd have to live with. And I'm not that you have to live with it, but that you do live with. And I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. That's a that's a bummer. Anything related to the death of our loved ones and like what we could have said or could have told them or like what, what we didn't say um, is like, I just feel like that's something that um, follows all of us always. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, think that's, that's like a universal. A, it's a normal part of grieving. Yeah. It always, it always stays with you. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I still to this day, like feel um, like a heaviness uh, that like my aunt didn't get to see me in my full form. Yeah. So I, I understand even though that like makes no sense. Cause she died like a year and a half before I came out, Yeah, but, but still, so still. I, I understand that. Yeah. The, the sadness about it. But I mean, if you have any kind of spiritual belief and you, which I mean, I know I do and you believe that people can like look down upon you or exist in like other, you know, an afterlife or another plane or another universe, whatever, then there is, you know, some hope there that your grandmother um, is witnessing this part of you. Yeah. Um, and I think believe that even if you don't just to get through it, because that's <laughs> really what I think spiritual belief system is about anyway. Yeah. You fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you find a deeper meaning there. Sometimes it's just getting you along for the ride. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Bummer. real bummer sorry about your grandma I feel you I like feel I the the grief that I feel about um my grandparents who have passed which is three out of four um it yeah it lingers there's like so much about um you know so much happens after your grandparents pass away yeah that like uh it's I the thing that kind of bothers me kind of like what you just said is is like that there are these people that only really get to see a very short um abbreviated version of you. Yeah. Cuz often they die before you even like really come into yourself. Yep. And that really makes me sad. So I also I I definitely um for the sake of my own comfort believe that they're watching over me except when I'm masturbating, <laughs> then they're jacking off over me. No, I'm kidding. Um, there's like a really funny 
meme or tweet or something that I saw where it was like, if you're ever worried that your dead grandparents are watching you masturbate, um, maybe ask yourself, why are they watching you masturbate? (laughs) They could be anywhere right now. (laughs) They're choosing to watch this. Um, So, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Time for my deep dive. Yes. Deep dive. Deep dive. So we've had a couple guests that we have not released those episodes yet. Um, but something that has repeatedly come up when we talk to other people about their mistakes is that there is sometimes rather than an instance, rather than an event, sometimes a mistake is an outlook that you had for a certain amount of time or a habit that you were in that was not good. Um, So sometimes a mistake can kind of stretch over like a longer period of time than like the time I crashed my car or whatever, you know? Um, So today I, on that note, I was thinking about what kind of like longer mistakes I've made. Um, More outlook based mistakes. And I landed on when I first moved out of my mom's house when I was like 18, about to turn 19 is when I first moved into my first apartment and started working like a 40 hour a week job. And that job was now responsible for paying for everything about my life. You know, like before that I was, I was paying for my own like food and clothes and like random stuff, but I wasn't paying to live in my mom's house. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was first confronted with the financial burdens of being alive, you know, capitalism crushing mm-hmm. us, um, I got into a very fear-based mindset because I was not making enough to live, go figure, because most jobs don't pay people enough to live. Um, I was working retail and I was like, it just felt like every single paycheck was just going to like, it was every paycheck was catching up on something, you know, Mm -hmm. I was like always like, I was like catching up on utilities or catching up on groceries or like paying someone back who I borrowed money. Like I just was piecing together, um, my life in this way that I think is very much how most people experience, um, whether it's their first few years of being financially independent, if not your entire life, because fucking life is hard and finances are hard. But rather than like taking that experience and learning how to like budget and like being super on top of like money in money out, I just decided to never look at my bank account. I decided that I would find out I'm broke when my card gets declined. Oh yeah. I, yeah. (laughs) I decided I don't ask, don't tell. (laughs) Um, yeah, I had a full, like if bills are in a drawer somewhere, they don't exist mentality. And it just, it, it, uh, snowballed to an epic, epic proportion where I ended up having like hundreds and hundreds of dollars of overdraft fees that I owed to the bank, um, over a long period of time, over like a few years. Um, you just closed out your account in that situation. Yeah, I know. But but oh, okay. um, they I've, already I've, took the money. Oh, I've done. Yeah, I've done it twice. Yeah. No, I mean, I Sorry, what I mean is like I lost cool. that money. It's oh. just like stupid. Like it's like over hundreds and hundreds of dollars of overdraft fees that could have been hundreds and hundreds of dollars that 
I had still, but instead were paid. You know what I mean? Yeah, never mind. I had, yeah, okay. You mean you were in a negative balance? I was over, I overdrafted like $400 from Bank of America, <laughs> took out the cash and then closed out my account. Yeah. And then I did it at Citizens Bank with like 600, took out the 600 and then closed the account. Yeah. So I didn't ever pay the money back. I just got. For me, it was more like they would take the money automatically out of the next time I had a paycheck. And I just almost didn't. I just almost I was aware it was happening. I wasn't aware how much it was happening. So I was almost unaware of it happening altogether um, because I just wasn't looking at my bank statements. And had I looked at my bank statements, I would have known to just turn off the overdraft feature or get a different bank. But instead, I was just like so full of anxiety. Yeah, I had to just stop being poor. I was so full of anxiety around my um, survival (laughs) and also filled with shame that I was fucking so broke. And it was embarrassing. Um, Yeah. Because we are taught that like your worth as a person is reflected by your material possessions and how much you have in your bank account and whatever Mm -hmm. more capitalist bullshit. But, um, anyway, you know, what's funny having done that episode about Amanda Knox, one of the realizations I had that helped me kind of snap out of it and start addressing my financial, um, illiteracy or whatever you want to call it was I was talking on the phone to my mom about how embarrassed I was and how ashamed I was and how um, it felt like the, you know, the problem had been going on for so long that like even beginning to address it, like the thought of starting to figure out my finances Mm -hmm. on its own was like panic attack inducing, let alone the actual finances themselves. (laughs) But just the thought of like sitting down and like looking at a bank statement made me like want to vomit. I got it. And I was like, you know what? (laughs) If Amanda Knox (laughs) could go to prison for four years Mm -hmm. um, for something that she didn't do and then was able to get out and like continue to like be involved in, um, advocacy work around this horribly traumatizing thing that happened to her. Mm-hmm. Um, I can like look at one fucking bank statement and it, it's very funny that like Amanda Knox of all people was the like aha moment I had. Yeah. Um, because you know, now she's a friend of the pod. <laughs> I love that. Um, that you have like brought this up because it has made me think of that movie that like poverty porn movie that came out recently with Amy Adams and Glenn Close. Oh yeah. The um, hillbilly Hillbilly elegy. Yeah. So I watched it. I watched the whole thing just Mm -hmm. to like see how bad it was. And it was quite bad, but there's a scene in it where the son like goes to fill up his gas tank and his card declines. And so he like has to take out another credit card. And like that like particular scene got a lot of backlash on Twitter from like people who grew up poor and like people who have like consistently been broke. And A lot of people were saying like, oh, scenes like this really piss us off because it's so unrealistic. Like when you're actually broke, you're actually poor. You always know how much money is on each card. That's not true. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't grow up poor by any means at all. But I was very broke in my 20s because I had no idea how to take care of myself. And I 
like I up in, until I moved back to New York last year, I would never look at my bank account for that reason because mm-hmm. I always knew that I was broke. So and I you would didn't want to see the heartbreaking see number. Yeah, it wasn't about like me. Like it was very weird to frame it as like mm, only people with money do that. Um, I will say I am very actually good at uh, cooking a like filling meal with like 75 cents. The shit that I ate when I had no money in my bank account is like... <laughs> <laughs> really abhorrent yeah um i yeah i just got really into it, beans and rice um i like was not eating food i like was eat- this like was at the height of me being like very mentally ill and doing drugs all the time and i was like literally <laughs> literally eating like a mayo out of a jar and like <laughs> like uh like putting uh cholula hot sauce on like saltines oh i was i became an expert at stealing hot sauces from chipotle yeah because they just they're just out there they're just sitting on the table and you can put it in your bag yeah and then you can put hot sauce on things that are going bad and taste horrible but now you can't taste it that it's going bad anymore yeah and that is one of the ways that i was able to stretch i would go to a lot of um, suggested donation political fundraisers because they ask you for money at the door but if you just walk like there it's like suggested so they're gonna like talk shit about you but so I would go and I would just eat the free food and mm-hmm. then bounce. And then I would also like schedule around which bars in my hometown were having like free food nights. Like yep. Nolan's every Monday would have or every Tuesday would have free hot dog nights. This other bar would have free taco nights. Like There's taco Tuesdays. so many places in New York that, um, you know, back when bars were open that have special special nights where like if you buy a drink, you get like a free yeah. slice of pizza or whatever. And I knew exactly where all of those yeah. places were because I would get someone else to buy me yes. a drink and then I would get the free food. Um, and I would very much play it off as like, oh, cool. There's free food. I didn't know. So much in common. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I get to know you more and more every Sunday. Every Sunday when we record and then everyone Rod. else gets to know it on Thursdays when they come out. Yes. Um, anyway, might I recommend a podcast called Bad With Money by... Um, the host's name is Gabby Dunn, and it is one of the most liberating listens I've ever been able I've had the privilege of listening to. So that is my little like that podcast I heard when I was in the midst of my financial emergency. It ended up turning out to be like I really ran out of fucking money yeah. <laughs> and I listened to that podcast and the way she speaks so openly about um, her own financial issues Um, She literally reads out her bank account on the podcast when she's in the midst of like she's in like horrible debt and stuff. It's just like I just love the way that she destigmatized talking about money and being open about not knowing what you're doing and being open about it scaring you. And so I just wanted to pay it forward by talking about it a little bit on this podcast, but recommend people go listen to that podcast, because even if you're good with money, I bet you'll still learn from that podcast. She by the end of the podcast, like it's like a three season podcast. And she like, it's incredible the journey that she goes on in pursuit of like learning to not be afraid of her finances anymore. So I recommend it. Okay. Anyway, that. that's, that's it on my deep dive. All right. Well, I'll take us away. Best mistake. Much like your financial stress. 
This also kind of relates to what we're going to be talking about, the way that finances can kind of spiral out of control and make you do things that you wouldn't necessarily do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, I'm talking about Bethany Frankel and Carol Radziwill, um, who are two former housewives of the Real Housewives of New York franchise. Um, Bethany Frankel was on the show from 2008 to 2010. um, And so one of the original housewives, then she left and did... um, had a baby, did a spinoff show that was like a big, did two spinoff shows that were like both big failures, um, <laughs> which she like talks candidly about, um, made a fuck ton were of money. Were they Bravo shows? Yeah. Okay. Well, one was a Bravo show, um, which was Bethany Ever After. That one didn't really fail. It's just that it like, or maybe it did. I, I, I It did get canceled because of ratings, but like it also was just tracking her wedding and her pregnancy. Mm. So it was like, couldn't really go on for that long right. with her now ex-husband, Jason Hoppy. Um, then she had a talk show that she really hated. It only lasted one season, but also at the same time, her skinny girl empire, which she started like her brand, which she started on housewives in the first two seasons, like really took off. She ended up selling the alcohol line of skinny girl. Um, she's like now worth $70 million dollars. Um, so she left in 2010 in 2011, Carol Radziwill came on to the show. Um, Carol Radziwill is a former journalist at ABC. She was married to, um, Lee Radziwill's son. Lee Radziwill is Jackie Kennedy's sister. Um, they were married for like a few years before he died of cancer um they after she left abc she kind of left journalism and started writing um memoirs about being a widow um and then she went on the show um so bethany frankel came back to the show for season 10 and that's when her and carol they didn't like immediately hit it off but they they like kind of suss each other out and then they became like BFFs. And for anyone who loves housewives, you will all know that Bethany Frankel is notorious Scorpio placements, <laughs> notorious for having like very close codependent clingy relationships with women that are like <laughs> really like big and then kind of explode. It happened with her and Jill Zarin, which is like a reason that she left the show that fell apart. And this is essentially what happened between her and Carol, except that it like wasn't as dramatic and it like really kind of came out of nowhere. It was like a slow burn of a friendship ending. Yeah, it was like, so they, um, or I'm sorry, she came back for season eight. Season 10 is when they stopped speaking. So season nine, they're like buddy, buddy. They were perfect. Um, and everything seemingly was fine. And then season 10 starts and it's like very clear um, just the way the season starts that like something is up. Like every season always starts with everyone in the Hamptons at the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. Carol always stays at Bethany Frankel's house in the Hamptons. And like the beginning of the season, she's staying in a hotel with Tinsley Mortimer rather than staying at Bethany's house. They're like, what not- season are we currently on? So season 12 is the one that just ended. Okay. Just so that I know how long ago this So this was 2017. Okay, great. The end of their friendship is 2017. Um, and um, 
So, yeah, so it's, like, very clear that, like, something is up and it's, like, a very slow burn throughout the entire season. And basically, Carol is feeling throughout the whole season, like, Bethany is, like, picking on her and Bethany kind of, like, wants nothing to do with her and she doesn't really know what's going on, but she doesn't really want to push it. Bethany is feeling like Carol has changed and has become like really narcissistic and that's, you know, doesn't want to be around Bethany anymore. Um, And they get into a few fights and we got like a little bit of backstory in the season where basically what happened that this is what Bethany says is that the reason their friendship fell apart is that the summer leading up to that season, they hadn't seen each other at all. And that season or that summer is when, let me pull up the article with the name. Um, Oh, okay. So that season or that that season, that summer, which is also a season, um, (laughs) Carol Radziwill spent spent the whole summer in LA with her really good friend, Cassandra Cassandra Gray, because Cassandra Gray's husband, who was the CEO of Paramount, had died really Mm -hmm. unexpectedly. And they talk about this on the show and then on the reunion where Carol goes on to say... Like, yeah, I spent all summer with my good friend. She was mourning. I, you know, I was with her and basically says like, Bethany, you were relentless all summer. You kept asking to hang out with me and Cassandra. Um, Bethany, from her perspective, says, well, when I was in L.A. to hang out with you, like, you know, you went out to dinner with Cassandra Gray and all of her friends. You didn't invite me. You wouldn't even let me come into Cassandra's house. I had to wait in the car for you. You were being so cold. I kept asking you, are you being so cold? And Carol's perspective was, I wasn't being cold. You were just up my ass and you weren't. It was like a very like gaslighty kind of like abusive friendship where like you, as soon as I, Carol, started having other, putting like my other close relationships above our friendship mm. to in Bethany's perspective, that's when Bethany turned on her. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever really gets resolved. And they like end the reunion really going at each other and being like, our friendship is over, which is like very sad because they were extremely close. And yeah, it, it's like if you and I stop being <laughs> friends, it really came out of nowhere. It was very, very, very strange. Um, and I um, I am famously obsessed with Bethany Frankel, <laughs> but this, well, I just recently watched this season and watching this season really turned me off from her. And I was like, there has to be some backstory that like we're not getting on this show about why the friendship ended. And there is some backstory <laughs> about why the so friendship give it to us. really ended. So... At the same time as the show airing, Bethany Frankel starts a show with Frederick, I forgot his last name, from Million Dollar Listing. They're like pretty good friends. They start a show together where they are buying like million dollar apartments in New York City, re- completely renovating them, flipping them and selling them. So it's like a home network, but on Bravo show. Mm-hmm. But it like starts tanking pretty early. Like there were only like 12 episodes, I think. It was like, it ran from like January to March. Mm -hmm. So like not a long time at all. Um, And basically what has been uncovered is that Bethany was really obsessed with getting to meet Cassandra Gray because Bethany had been angling for a way to save 
her show with Frederick and she knew that it was going to fall apart. And so she wanted to get in with Cassandra Gray because Cassandra Gray to Bethany is powerful. Her deceased husband was the CEO of Paramount mm-hmm. or the, the president of Paramount. Yeah. CEO of Paramount. So basically she was trying to exploit this situation, which was highly inappropriate because the woman's husband had just died so that she could get in, become friends with this woman mm-hmm. and then get this woman's contacts. So I have a um, B- queen of Bravo, Queens of Bravo on Twitter uh, released this juicy gossip recently, like this month. And I'll read what it says. So it says the real reason behind the Bethany Carroll fallout. The real reason was Cassandra Gray. Bethany had been angling for a solo production deal since she returned to Bravo. Bravo wasn't interested because Bethany can't carry a show by herself. However, spring and summer of 2017, Bethany finally got the go-ahead from Bravo to film Bethany and Frederick. The show fell apart. The husband of Carol's friend Cassandra died in May of 2017. He was the CEO of Paramount. Carol spent that whole summer with Cassandra, and Bethany kept pushing Carol to get an invitation to hang out with Carol, Cassandra, and Brad's friends and contacts who could help Bethany get a production deal. Um, Bethany was getting especially desperate because her show was falling apart. But Carol obviously was like, this is Carol didn't realize like why Bethany was so obsessed with meeting Mm -hmm. this woman, but Mm -hmm. was just like the whole scenario is inappropriate. Like, I don't want to bring you around Mm -hmm. my friend. She's grieving. Um, goes on to say Carol didn't quite realize that things were going awry until filming began, which is true. You can see it on the show. Um, And basically goes on to say Carol was blindsided. Bethany got angry about this and then decided that she was going to change the storyline on this up on the on that season of Housewives to make it seem like this is why our friendship deteriorated. It was Carol's fault. And it's because Carol is like obsessed with herself now Mm. so that she could get ahead of the narrative. Um, So Carol Radswell went on to retweet this recently and said, wow, and to think I appeared on The Frederick Show. Producers begged me to do that scene in the eyeglass store. Damn, had I known it all. Ugh. Um, And Carol ended up leaving the franchise after she and Bethany stopped speaking. Um, She basically goes on to say in a few different interviews that Bethany runs, essentially like runs Bravo. Andy Cohen is afraid of her. Like she kind of has all of this power. Um, and so Carol was like, I'm Audi. I want nothing to do with this franchise anymore. Obviously, the mistake here, in my opinion, is that Bethany Frankel allowed her greed and her ambition to take precedent over her friendship with Carol. I think when you have that much money, I mean, $70 million, <laughs> when you have that much money, you kind of don't know when to stop. Mm. And she really, it's like, you know, why, why do you need the show? This stupid fucking show you have be strong, which is your philanthropy business. You still have skinny girl. You haven't sold the whole, the whole brand. You're on housewife. She gets paid like, I think almost a million an episode makes like a crazy amount of money. I mean, she's left the show since, but um, so yeah, so essentially uh, all of this gossip was uncovered by quite a few dedicated um, housewives blogs, which I love because no one knew. 
I posted about it on Instagram the other night that I had the tea and people were asking me for it. I told them they had to wait for the episode. <laughs> and here it is. And here Here's it is, the tea. bitches. That's so interesting. Like, I feel like, um, I mean... That's like a tale as old as time of like, you know, letting almost every like Disney Channel movie is a main character letting their um, ambition or obsession with something like take over everything. And it like alienates their friends. And like part of their like, you know, conflict is that they need to get their friends back after they got like too swept away in something. You know what I mean? Like it's such a like it's so funny that that's like a trope for a reason because it is just like human beings have this uh, uh like um what's the word like a predisposition to letting the wrong things become our priorities yeah and uh even in something like housewives like you know reality television is so contrived often it's like just kind of made up conflict for entertainment which we love yeah um, but it's always so funny that like while they're making fake conflict for us to watch, there is real conflict happening that we don't know. About. Yeah. Well, that's why I love I mean, that's why I love at least New York housewives. Cause like all of that conflict is always real conflict. Yeah. Like, it's always like corroborated by like page six or like this person's tweet. Like when the women are fighting on that show, they're truly fighting in real mm-hmm. life. Um, and Carol has like gone, Carol Radziwill has like gone on to like speak on podcasts and like talk in a few interviews where she talks about um, just like the the way that they obviously manipulate everything on the show. And then also the way that like, because Bethany is the star of the show, she has so much sway in being able to manipulate storylines in a way that like a cast member normally wouldn't have. But she like when she was on the show, she kind of had the producers whipped because she was like, she was the highest um, rated housewife. Mm. And so they wanted her to stay on. But it's just so weird because she like the whole season and the whole reunion, she really, Bethany plays it up as though it was just that she felt like Carol had changed and didn't want anything to do with her. And it's so strange to me, like to throw away a friendship over something like that when you have seventy million dollars <laughs> in the bank account. Like, it's not like well, she's worth seventy million. Or yeah, but I, she's. I mean, who knows how much she has in the bank? But she's worth. <laughs> Even if it's only one million, you're yeah, good. You're good. Like, <laughs> it's just so strange to me, and like, it's weird too, because like you. Like, I remember when I only had one million dollars. <laughs> It's so weird because like her just to see uh, how good of a friend Carol was to her and then to see this happen was uh, very strange. And now I am really reassessing how I feel about Bethany Frankel. I'm sorry to hear that. It's very reminiscent of shit that happens in comedy friendships, to be honest. Mm. There's a lot of like games of chess happening with like, oh, well, this person has these connections. And if I get like into this group of people and they're like, I don't know. I'm obsessed with Search Party. <laughs> I, lo- I think it's great. It's a great show um, creatively. The casting of it is very much um, a lot of comedians that are kind of in the same group of friends. Yeah. And I know a lot of them. I know pretty much, I'm going to say 75% of the people in Search Party, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is um, 
uh, not a brag so much as it is. Uh, it just goes to show that like you can literally socialize your way into certain opportunities. Um, and I'm no shade at anybody that's on search party. I think it's well cast. I think that it wasn't socializing alone that got those people that that opportunity. And let me be clear, but I will say it's very clearly a group of people who are very good friends that are all in one TV show. (laughs) And so like Bethany was onto something that by socializing her way into a certain opportunity, it might like fix her show or whatever, give her another. Um, But I find it uh, just ironic when it kind of, backfires because it's also shitty to do that to people yeah it makes me wonder too if like that um i'm sure there was a genuine love there between the two of them but uh, knowing that she was trying to get connections from carol who i mean bethany is extremely successful but bethany comes from the background of reality tv and like being a brand whereas carol radzowell comes from the background of being like a very well-respected and well-known journalist. So it's like obviously two different worlds. And I wonder if Bethany, if that's what motivated her to even start that friendship. Mm. Cause she doesn't re- they don't even really like each other when they first meet on the show. Right. And then they suddenly fall into it and become very, very close. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. If- Ugh, I can't wait for our reality television show. Oh my God, same. I can't wait to be on housewives. Uh, um- <laughs> the real housewives of Ridgewood, <laughs> the real spinsters of Ridgewood. Oh yeah. I, that's a, another funny thing about that show is that none of them are, none of them are married. <laughs> There's like three of them that were married for the first few seasons and then they all got divorced yeah. or the rest just were not married. I don't know what, yeah, I don't get it. Um, but I personally can't wait to be on that show. Um, yeah. Andy Cohen, come on the show. Andy, oh my God, Andy Cohen, come on the pod. Yeah, come on the pod. Andy Cohen apparently doesn't invite <laughs> Bethany Frankel to his Christmas party anymore because she talked about it to page six. <laughs> and, and he got mad, but they're still close. We're all better for knowing that. Moral of the story. Well, I think the moral of the story is one, have boundaries in your friendships and two, never don't let money, <laughs> I get, refuse. don't let money get in the way uh, like this kind of ambition get in the way of a friendship. You know, it's like that. That would be my takeaway. It's yeah. just don't don't try to fucking in, in any part of the entertainment industry. Just like really value your close friends. Be a fucking person yeah be a person value your close friends if you want to go schmooze and use people for connections don't make them your close friends yeah you know we all schmooze and we all use certain people for connections <laughs> in this industry it's how you get to where you want to be a lot of the time yeah i'm schmoozing um, right now same during this podcast same. that's what our friendship is about <laughs> it's um it, you schmooze or you lose but yeah, I mean, I think that would be it. It's like value value the people in your life who you love and don't don't let this ambition yeah. for more fucking power and money get in the way of it because it's yeah. sad. Because in that case, you schmooze and you lose. And you lose. And Bethany Frankel is the queen of doing this to people. Yeah. She's constantly, her friendships are constantly imploding. <sighs> well, relatable, relatable queen. <laughs> I mean, she is a relatable queen. I don't relate anymore, but yeah. yeah, you know, it's sad. It is. It's sad. 
You gotta have your girlies. You gotta have your girlies. <laughs> you gotta have your girlies. And in the words of Carol Radziwill, her tagline for season ten, what is it? In the in the fuck in the game of in the pursuit of life, um, loyalty always wins or something. Something about loyalty. Wait, what was it? I need to pull it up. <laughs> what, what would yours be? What would your tag mine, be? It would be, everyone says that I think the world revolves around me. I don't think it. I just know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what your tagline would be? Yeah, I've had that in my cachet for years. Hmm, interesting. My favorite was Jules Weinstein's. It was a Jew and a Japanese. Wait, uh, a Jew and a Japanese person. <laughs> A Jew, a Jew and a Japanese person walked into a bar and then they had me. <laughs> My favorite version of any of those is the 30 Rock one where oh, she's yeah. like, they, well, there wasn't just one, but um, Tracy's wife uh, has like the Queen of Jordan or whatever show. Oh, okay. And one of her friends taglines in the show is my ex-husband's new girlfriend is cheating on him uh, with me. <laughs> <laughs> I found it. It's in the marathon of life. Loyalty is everything. Um, yeah. It's like not that clever. No, like it's you gotta not. Make one of clever. one of my favorite ones is uh, from that season is Ramona Singer. And it's, uh, Age is nothing but a number. If you don't mind, it doesn't. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I love that. Or Sonia Morgan, who the season before that was, there's nothing gray about my gardens. Ooh. She always has a good one, Sonia. That's hot. Oh, uh, but Ramona's other one for season nine was, I'm an acquired taste. If you don't like me, acquire some taste. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, that is like, you know, those, um, like vintage, um, like a, a like yes, housewife yeah, 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 with yeah. the little like words and they go on your wall, kitchen walls. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that is what, that's one of those. I feel like, I or like it. it goes on like a pot holder. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> if you don't like me, acquire some taste. Yeah. Where it's like, we go together like drunken disorderly. <laughs> <laughs> there's just always like like is this a cute saying or a call a cry for help Sorry. <laughs> lisa what are you eating <laughs> 95 okay. year old well we'll leave it at that we'll leave it at folks. that We'll leave it um, at that. I'm sorry that my, whenever I tell stories, they're always, I feel like they're like 10 minutes and then we're out of here. No, that was 45 minutes. Oh, all right. Gorgeous. I like yeah. to keep it, you know, concise. Yeah, no, that um, was great. I, I keep it concise. I didn't say that you didn't. I was saying that I often have very short episodes. <gasps> you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I pour, I, uh, whatever, Georgia. Splash a drink in your face. <laughs> Georgia Hardstark. Um, um, how dare. <laughs> Just kidding. I truly. Listen, get, let's not get a twisted kid. You're the Carol Ransomwell of the friendship. Okay, that's fine. No, you I'm mean kidding. the one with integrity? Yeah, but she also sucks in a lot of ways, you know? Uh, well, yeah, I, I suck in a lot of ways. Uh, hey, you said it, not me. Okay, um, bitch. <laughs> that kidding. means we're, you're the we're Bethany, neither, which we're, means you also suck We're in a neither lot of, of them. If we're anyone, you need to watch it. We're Sonia Morgan and Ramona Singer. I've seen some of it, and I know who those two are. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm Ramona. I mean, you know who we are. Who? We're Nika Lamazzo and Anya fucking we're Volts. Anya, we're Anna Kachanian and Dasha. <laughs> What's the last name? The, uh, I can't say that. <laughs> their reality show would be very boring, though. It would be, yeah. be a lot of um, low 
talking a lot, talking like talking like, like this. Just kind of a slow, low uh, yeah, tone, which is fine. I hey, listen, I'm not a red scare hater. It's a fine thing really, to listen to. Men only like submissive but, women. Yeah, but I'm not trying to Everyone watch that knows on Bravo. That the dream man is someone who's fat and hairy. Don't you agree, Dasha? I disagree. Oh, okay. Uh, okay so we just edited out um some juicy hot takes that we'll never tell you what they were You're but not, well, we, maybe we'll it, maybe if when we start our patreon yeah that's our, when you'll get our th- juiciest that's when you'll know takes. how we feel about aoc, about AOC. <laughs> <laughs> um so since they're they're not going to hear it unless they sign up for our patreon which is not out yet well maybe by the time that this comes out okay, it'll well, yeah be out. That, that's a good goal for the week yeah cool oh wait not the week because this will be out in like a month but yeah but like but still, yeah. So listen to our Patreon or sign up for our Patreon and listen to our bonus episodes where we do um, tell you how we really feel. We tell it like it is. On this podcast, we tell it like it kind of is, but on <laughs> Patreon, we really tell it. We like tell it, it like it fucking, fucking is. is. Um, and, and if you're going to cancel us, joke's on you because you'll be paying money to do it. So, yeah, and that's fine. Also, cancel us it's great publicity seriously i'm just waiting i'm waiting to get canceled so we can go on joe rogan and plug the pod same honestly i can't wait to go on joe rogan (laughs) it's gonna be i mean it's gonna be a great day we're gonna make it like you know joe rogan in the morning and then we're gonna go on um uh call her daddy yes um (laughs) okay so uh you know value your friendships um social climb but be smart about it um uh leave us a review cancel us if you feel like it um subscribe to our patreon follow us on On instagram Instagram twitter Twitter. subscribe to our OnlyFans. send us your mistakes send us your mistakes best mistakes pod at at gmail.com or just dm us on anything because our mistake today was a DM, so you don't yeah. have to email us. But I like the emails because you can like, I don't know. It just it's all in one place. Sometimes DMs end up being multiple DMs. Yeah, in a row. and feel free to DM me too. No one DMs me. I feel like I'm unapproachable. This was on our on our podcast. Yeah, but you get a lot of DMs about the pod, don't you? Not really. I've, I mean, I've gotten like two. I feel like people think I'm a bitch. Just so you know, I you know I'll respond. Yeah. You are a bitch. Uh, yeah, I'm a cunt and I usually don't respond for like a month, but I will respond. Yeah. I just um, have ADD. Same. Okay. Great. Icon. Icon. <laughs> That's iconic. Iconic. I'm going to go drink some skinny girl margaritas now. Yeah. 